welcome to episode 194 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob, and we've got another series win on our hands. The Blue Jays lose a tough one yesterday in 10 innings to the Houston Astros, but they take two out of three. They've taken at least two out of three, in one case, two of a four, from every single team this season, and they are on a roll so far. Guys, how are you? Doing good, Mark. You said it. Uh, another series one, as much as I guess yesterday didn't exactly end in the greatest fashion, kind of hurt a bit. But when you look at the weekend in general, you take two out of three from the Astros on the road. Jacob, prediction, you were right. Mark and I were more pessimistic saying one <laughs> out of three, so we'll take it. And now the Jays got a 10-game homestand against pretty much the same teams they saw last week. So it'll be interesting to see if they can have kind of similar results, and you hope so. But almost through the entire month, and they still win series, so you can't really complain at this point right now. I will say our predictions were kind of correct because we were relying on the, the Astros having really good starting pitching. And they did to for the most part, right? The Blue Jays scored four runs, three runs, and then seven runs yesterday. So for the most part, we were right about the starting pitching. But how are you, Jacob? I'll tell you what. I'm happy about the prediction. I'm happy about the series. But that sweep was – it was very close. And I'll still take it. You're still tied for first in the East going into the end of uh, end of April. Not a bad start to the season, I think, by any means. You're still 10-6, and six, still among the league leaders in, in wins. It's still a very good team, despite not fully clicking everywhere. And I know we've said that a lot this whole season, but I'll take it still. It's a, a good series against a good team. You won, now you move on, you face the Red Sox at home. First team in baseball, or first team in the American League to 10 wins. Fourth team in baseball to 10 wins. The Blue Jays already have five one-run run, one run wins. Last year, it took them until June 2nd, their 54th game of the season, to get five one-run wins. Um, Yeah, the story of this season so far is very different from what it was at the start of last year. Let's start with yesterday's game because that was a big drama of the series, although to be fair, every single game was dramatic with every single game being a one-run win or loss. Um, The Blue Jays are down 5-2 to after the fifth inning, heading into the top of the sixth. Zach Collins continues his quest for team MVP, hits a three-run bomb in the top of the sixth inning, makes it a 5-5 game. The Blue Jays score the go-ahead run in the top of the seventh off Santiago Espinal double. They give it back in the bottom of the seventh. It stays tied until the tenth when the Blue Jays score a run, make it a 7-6 ball game, and then the Astros walk it off with a two-run bomb to deep center field in the bottom of the tenth off Jordan Romano. Um, Quite the game. And I think it was only a matter of time with the Blue Jays playing all these one-run games before we saw them lose a game like this. It was only a matter of time before we saw them go into extra innings like they did. And I know this kind of brings flashbacks to last year, but like we said, it's two to three. You cannot complain about taking two out of three from the reigning ALE uh, American League champions and having started a season winning all these series and being the first team in the American League to 10 wins. So a little bit of a rough game, a little bit of a rough ending, but even then you look at the bullpen, you know, seven relievers who combined to go um, almost nine innings and give up two runs. Very strong performance from the bullpen and the hitting, honestly, the best lineup performance we've seen since opening day pretty much they score the most runs I believe since opening day when the Blue Jays scored 10 so by and large I'm not really upset with this even in the moment watching it when that home run was hit I figured it was a matter of time before this happened 
the Blue Jays can't win them all. They're going to win some tough games. They're going to lose some tough games. And you still got to be happy with taking two of three from the Astros. Yeah, it still stings. And I really, I really hate saying this, but yeah, you can't win them all. And you want to win them all, but it's just, it's not feasible. But still, like a good game. I think if you want to look at these kind of behind the scenes numbers, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., two hit, two hit game. Zach Collins, as you mentioned, two hits. Lourdes Guerrero Jr., two hits. Matt Chapman had a. Good start to the series, went 0 for 5 in this third game, but still, the offense overall is doing its job. Even Yusei Kikuchi, only three and two thirds innings. I thought, I mean, it was it was an okay start for from him. Bullpen definitely rebounded. Uh, I think what hurt the team a little bit was the the sloppy play in the uh, in the infield and really just in the uh, in the field in general. I hate saying this, but Kevin Biggio, it might be time to send him to Triple A. Or something like here's the thing if you're gonna have Santiago Espinal playing as good as he is and he had a first of all a great offensive series but especially a great defensive series how do you how do you not play him every game there were I, I what was it like four or five amazing like plays that you could put a red star behind like he the one where he jumped and dove he had a few uh, like diving plays where he did like a 360 through got the guy out at first base like he was great like literally the entire series I don't know how you don't keep him in this lineup. Yeah, he only went one for four yesterday. Still not bad. Still not a bad season. It's just, it, I think the the argument to keep Kevin Biggio on this lineup or, or in the on the roster in general is it's losing a lot of merit. Like, he can play a lot of positions, but can he play all these positions extremely well and can he hit very well? Not, not entirely, at least not. He hasn't shown it this season to start, but I still think it was a very promising series promising game despite the loss I mean with Jordan Romano we've called him one of the best closers in baseball at least this season and for a large portion of, the, of of last season things like this are bound to happen and it's just at this point I think the best way to put it is it is what it is and you don't want things like this to happen but you take two or three I mean I don't think there's ever been a team that goes lossless in a season or that's never lost a tough game so I'm not worried Eventually, it'll get a lot better, and you start a homestand, all you can do is win these series, and you'll have a fantastic season. Yeah, you know what? Overall, definitely a good series. I mean, you're going on on the road. We know that they were pretty much on the road all week, and you just weren't exactly sure what you were going to kind of expect this weekend because of that, but three games, uh, Mark, you spoke about it. It was a playoff atmosphere. I mean, every single game was close. And you talk about yesterday, yes, there are flashbacks to last year for sure, but you can even make the argument, those first Game 1 and Game 2, I mean, last year, if they were in that position last year, there's a pretty good chance they would have got swept this series, and they would have found a way to lose both Game 1 and 2. So you see the difference, you see the bullpen uh, being effective, holding those leads. Obviously, yesterday was the first kind of hiccup, or it was Jordan Romano specifically, but it's the first hiccup in a while. Jordan Romano is on an incredible run, and you can't be perfect all year. So as much as it did happen, I don't think anyone should really be worried about it. I don't think a lot of us are worried about it, but um, just kind of a disappointing way to end off the road trip. But overall, still a good series. You, you look back on yesterday with Yusei Kikuchi, and we spoke about it uh, last episode. We know he didn't have the greatest numbers against the Astros, the greatest history with the Astros. So as much as his stuff wasn't, bad it was the command that was pretty much throwing him off five walks and three and two and three and two thirds um 
And it was kind of similar to what we saw last week in Boston. Trouble right out of the gate with him. He had a leadoff double. He had runners on the corners. Uh, he had more trouble in the second inning. But, of course, uh, Jacob, you mentioned it earlier, Bichette had one error. And even before that, there was a failed strike three call that he should have had. So a couple of factors in the second inning. But, of course, Kikuchi still probably should have gotten through that. I mean, there's obviously no excuse. Mark, you were talking about it in our group chat yesterday with the ninth hitter walking the ninth hitter. Um you got to find a way to get out of that, not but just, of course... Not just the ninth inner, but it's Martin Maldonado, who is debatably exactly, the worst yeah. hitter in <laughs> baseball. Yeah, so factors, of course, that he can't control that happen. Probably could have helped him out a little bit if that did happen, but, you know, overall, it just it didn't cut it for him yesterday. So the command was the big factor uh, for him, because the hard hits, he wasn't really giving up a lot of hard hits. He had 11 balls in play in about three and two-thirds. So that was kind of the thing that stood out and of course we saw the usage of the fastball last week in Boston it was pretty even this time around it was pretty much even between the four seam and the cutter and that's what the Jays are trying to kind of avoid from him and try and move on from that or kind of change his approach and it just didn't seem like it was going for him yesterday at all so a lot of factors that pretty much happened and yesterday too um pretty much Gurriel I mean Norris Gurriel Jr. I want to talk about him he had a really good series a couple good uh, offensive plays and of course he had a great recovery throw yesterday you guys saw it um, later on in the game when he recovered after misplaying a ball and he threw uh, he made a nice sort of third base so that was definitely really good you guys mentioned Zach Collins so they had really good I guess flashes yesterday I mean that comeback by Zach Collins not only is Zach Collins but hitting home runs but he's been hitting clutch home runs I think that's two game tying home runs that he's hit this year so that's one of the takeaways I have from it I mean Really good from him hitting out of the cleanup spot. And he's kind of right now, you know, he's he's a really likable player and he's a really likable um, just guy to watch too. So you, you got to feel happy for him. But other than the miscue yesterday from Romano, the bullpen overall too throughout the series was really good. Yesterday, uh, Tim Mays had a solid performance, of course. And then uh, David Phelps, Mark, we were talking about it a little bit. As much as he was throwing a lot of pitches, he still found a way to get out of trouble. He kind of had a fluky play that he that he gave up because the the uh, the runners or sorry the infielders were in on the shift. So if the infielders are back at the regular spot, there's a probably they probably catch that lazy pop fly that tied the game. So that's pretty much kind of an exception. And then of course, if you just want to look back on the first couple of games too, uh, Ross Stripling I thought had a good first and second inning back in game one. He had trouble in the third pretty much. Uh, gave up a double, walked. And then he walked, and then uh, he gave up a single as well. Espinal, another good defensive play from that game. And Stripling, too, was burned on the shift on one play in particular. So it was a rough third inning for him, allowing three earned runs. And, of course, Gurriel also had a really clutch, uh, clutch play or really a good awareness beating out the throw, uh, scoring an RBI. So there was a lot of things, I mean, that happened as well in Game 1. Santiago Espinal, Bradley Zimmer going back-to-back. That's kind of something that was probably one of the most random back-to-backs that you're going to see all year league-wide. And then, of course, there was a lot of good defense in that game from both sides. Pena and the Astros made a really good play. Espinal made more good plays. Bichette had a good play. Zimmer had a good play. And then in the bullpen in that game, uh, Thornton, Simber, Meza, all all really good uh, later on in the game. Chapman had to go ahead double late in the game, and then Romano came out for the save. Pretty much game two, George Springer leadoff home run against his former team. Would have been probably felt really good doing that. And that was the probably one of the best offensive starts, at least. You know, the great at-bats early on. And then Alec Manoa was somebody who, for the first time this year, well, he's only made three starts for his exception, but in particular, compared to his first two starts, he was missing a lot, I thought, early on with his location, with his fastball. So there was a lot of missed pitches that he had 
But other than that, he, he kind of worked through it. He settled down, and he had a good start overall. We know that Alec Manoa has been good all year. And then it was kind of a cold um, stretch for the offense throughout the middle of the innings. But then they came clutch again later on in the game. Phelps, Barucky, Garcia, that was pretty much the bullpen combo in Game 2. A really good series with that. Adam Simberg came on because Romano was unavailable in Game 2. Got the save. And one thing I found really interesting from that, and my highlight was that, is that apparently... Or when you look at it, and you can kind of make the argument, and you can un- understand what happened was, Jimmy Garcia was technically the closer in Game 2. But what I mean by that is, he came out in the 8th, he came out earlier, because he was um, he was facing the meat of the order. He was facing the middle of the Astros order. So the fact that Charlie Montoya brought him out in the 8th to face the high leverage, um, I guess, in a high leverage, uh, leverage situation, he was facing the middle of the Astros order. He got out of it. He got Adam Simber. It just shows the flexibility this bullpen has. This is something that Mar- Montoya could not have done last year. So that's why I thought it was a really interesting thing that he kind of put together in Game 2 without Jordan Romano. And Adam Simber came out in the ninth and finished it. So overall, really good takeaways. I think the bullpen is probably one of my takeaways this series just because of the late inning work that they've done. Santiago Espinal with his defensive plays, with his offensive plays. And of course, you got to also give uh, Gurriel a shout out too for his clutch hits throughout the series as well. And I'll give Zach Collins another shout out because he's been absolutely raking at the plate throughout the entire month. So you love to see that on a Boston this week and a start of a 10 game road trip. I'm sorry, 10 game homestand. Finally, after being on the road for a little bit and in just week weird home in a ways and yeah it, it'll be nice to get some reliability and some consistency with the Blue Jays being at home but yeah you talk about the bullpen like Jimmy Garcia has been so far this season pretty phenomenal he hasn't given up a run yet and like yeah he gave up a hit in yesterday's game but by and large he's been phenomenal and this is kind of what we were talking about before this season what the Blue Jays needed they have Jordan Romano they have that guy at the back of the bullpen, who is going to be able to pitch that ninth or that 10th inning when the Blue Jays take the lead. Um, That's not what they needed. They needed someone who can come in when, like you say, they're facing the meat of the order, they're facing the 1-2-3, 2-3-4, and they need someone to do that before the ninth inning. They needed someone who can come in with guys on second and third in a one-run game and shut things down against the meat of the order. Um, Jordan Romano shouldn't be that guy. He should be someone who can come in in the ninth inning when they have the lead. But the fact that Jimmy Garcia is able to do that and so far has pitched eight innings this season, hasn't given up an earned run, all while putting up a whip of 0.63, that's exactly what the Blue Jays need. And it's not just Jimmy Garcia, of course. They have Tim Mays as a lefty specialist. They have even someone like Trent Thornton has made a couple of good appearances. He made an appearance out of the bullpen yesterday, gave up a hit, but then induced a double play. So they've been getting those performances where they need it. I think that's a big part of why they've been able to have all these one-run wins. It's the fact that they have guys who can come in before Jordan Romano, um, kind of like what we saw towards the end of last year, Adam Simmer, Trevor Richards, Tim Meza. Just now they have even more guys. They have you know, Julian Merriweather is in there and healthy. Maybe not what he was at the start of last season, but he's still available and healthy. They have Jimmy Garcia. They have someone like Trent Thornton, who, like it or not, he's in the bullpen and he's going to get into games. So they have all these guys that can come in before the ninth inning, before the tenth inning when the Blue Jays take the lead. And I think that's why we're seeing them have so much success so far. And Seeing them, you know, even when the starter only goes 3.2 innings, they still hang in there and they still have the lead heading into the bottom of the 10th inning. So that's something we wouldn't have seen last year. Um, 
Jacob, you brought up Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal, and that's a conversation we should probably have. Um, Santiago Espinal is a starting second baseman of this team. Like, without a doubt. And Kevin Biggio is getting in the lineup right now in right field, at first base, when Vladi needs a day off his feet. But it's only a matter of time before they run out of room on the roster to not just have him keep playing, but have him stay on the roster. They've got a couple guys injured right now that's kind of allowing Biggio to stay alive. Danny Jansen is on the IL. Teoscar Hernandez is on the IL. And Biggio is benefiting from them and getting playing time because they're on the IL. But what happens when those guys come back? What happens when Teoscar Hernandez is back in the lineup and he's starting every day in right field? Where do you play Kevin Biggio? Where do you have room for Kevin Biggio in your roster? Because right now, it's not worth carrying him. He's got one hit this season. (laughs) And that's it. He's not doing anything offensively. Defensively, he's probably more of a liability than a plus. What do you do with him? And what do the Blue Jays do with him at this point if he's not hitting and they're running out of room on the roster with him? One thing I'll add to that that even makes this a little more complicated is the catching situation because we knew Reese McGuire, or excuse me, we knew Danny Jansen was going to be the catcher, the starting catcher of this team. Reese McGuire, like I said, he was traded, so he's out of the picture, but Alejandro Kirk not necessarily getting things going this season. I mean, his average is up to 244, but hasn't necessarily been exactly what the team expected him to be early in the season, yes, but still. I don't necessarily, like, you're going to carry two catchers, so assume he's on the roster. Zach Collins, I don't think you demote him by any means, and do you demote Alejandro Kirk? I mean, he can catch, he can DH, but the other two catchers also catch, so do you throw him at DH and then something like that? Like, I don't know, Like, but that, that, that's the thing. You now have three guys that play catcher that can hit. Maybe not as good as the other guys, but they can still hit at least. I don't think that Kevin Biggio stays on this roster by, by the time the rosters uh, go down by two, like... It's just, it's unfortunate. I like. I would love to see him on this roster. I'd love to see him rebound. He's a big part of the the clubhouse. But when you need to win games, you cannot have a guy not know how to throw and not know how to hit. Like, it's just, it's not the way, that's not how you win games. And it's, I hate saying that, but everybody else is going to stay on this roster. Like, nobody that's, pretty much everybody except the catchers, are not on the chopping block. And I don't even think the catchers are on the chopping block. I just think that it's um to it it was unlikely that you carry three catchers. It's just a little bit different now. And obviously with Teoscar Hernandez, I don't think they carry five outfielders. You're probably going to send down Bradley Zimmer, keep Raymel Tapia as your fourth outfielder. Zimmer I, uh, Zimmer's out of options. So that even complicates it a little bit more. Yeah, but. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, decisions made in the next couple of uh, or next couple of weeks, but yeah, as for Kevin Biggio specifically, I I I really don't like saying this, but I don't know where he fits on this roster if he can't provide at least something for this team. Like we talk about Matt Chapman how first of all his bat is definitely heating up, but we we knew that he was a defense first guy. Kevin Biggio is not anything first and it's unfortunate, but I don't I really just I I can't see where you fit him in the lineup. Like, you're not going to... If you have the option to put any of the three catchers or Kevin Biggio in the lineup, you pick that that other catcher or, or something like that. And 
maybe a, de- a demotion is what he needs. You know, we talk about Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. having that happen over years past. They come back and they're a lot better. Maybe that's all he needs. Who knows? But it's it, it, the argument to keep him on this roster, and I said this earlier, but the argument to keep him here is very insignificant at this point, and unless he proves otherwise. Like, at this point, who who do you substitute for him on the roster? And that will eventually be answered. We'll see in the next couple weeks, but I doubt that he's here beyond, uh, what are we at, April 25th. I doubt he's here beyond May 5th or, or May 4th by this point. It's a tough one. It really is, but... You guys are right. Like Santiago Espinal has won that job. It's complicated because of what you guys were saying. And you look at yesterday too. I mean, Bijou had a pretty big miscue at first base yesterday. Like it's you're kind of running out of excuses here. Like I know one. Like he's a lot. We know he's better than one hit. But maybe the expectations should be lowered from him. But again, he is better than having one hit. But he just looks lost right now. I mean, he's having a lot of weak contact. I think he's pretty much at the bottom in terms of league average or like near the the other half of it in terms of, you know, just exit velocity and everything like that. So it's not like he's hitting the ball hard and he's getting unlucky. He's just not succeeding really at any point of his game. And Jacob, the thing when I told you about Zimmer, that definitely makes it interesting and that makes it complicated because you got Bradley Zimmer for him to be on the roster as much as people like that or not. Maybe they do or not. He's going to be here. His defensive play is pretty much what saves him from being in the major leagues. As much as you can complain about his at-bats, you know, he did have a good home or a pretty big home run this series. But as much as you can complain about his at-bats, it's the fielding that he does that keeps him in the game. And of course, he is a good, a really good defensive outfielder. So he's not going anywhere, uh, in my opinion, either. Uh, Tyler Heineman's going to go when Danny Jansen comes back. And it gets complicated, too, because once May hits and the rosters, they go down, yes, the pitcher limit also goes down to 14, I believe. The Jays are at 15 right now. So one pitcher's... what's go- Correct me if I'm wrong, but is it 13 or is it 14? I believe it's I believe it's 14 this year under the new oh, okay. CBA. So um, it's either 14 or 13. But the, the point is a couple pitchers are going to go down. But the point, I guess, if a demotion does happen, it would probably be when Teoscar Hernandez comes back. If that's going to be an option for the Jays to maybe consider, I think that's when it would happen. I'm not going to say he won't be on the roster by May 5th, but I guess it's something that you can't rule out. Like, I do think it's something that they might have to try and consider. You know, the thing too, you know, you look at the other guys in the Jays bench, the other guy that I haven't mentioned is Ghost K. He's had some pretty good at-bats when he's appeared. He's walked a few times, and the thing that, I guess, adds value to him too off the bench is he can run. So we've seen him come off the, uh, come off the bench a few times this year as a pinch hitter. So... That's kind of maybe an asset the Jays might want to hold on to for a little longer if Biggio kind of plays like the way he's playing. I think there's definitely a chance that Coteau could stay on the roster over Biggio at that point, which for those reasons alone. So you guys mentioned it too. The playing time's running out. Uh, Jacob, you brought up a good point that I was going to also mention about the catchers. Zach Collins at this point isn't going to go anywhere. As much as it's not ideal maybe for the Jays to have three catchers on the roster, you might have to consider it with the lefty, uh, the lefty that he is, and of course the pop that he has. So, regardless if that's a DH role for him, or they kind of just float it through, or maybe rotate between Kirk and Collins at DH when Jansen comes back to be the full time catcher, I think that's obviously a better lineup. Um, and compared to, I mean, sending down Collins because I think that's a no brainer at this point. So Zach Collins probably has earned himself a job throughout the next few months of the season as well. 
that's another thing that complicates things for Biggio. And then, of course, when Teoscar does come back, then you're completely out of room for him on the like in terms of the starting lineup. I mean, Santiago Espinal is going to be pretty much playing every day. He played every day this series, so that's why. Like, it's just it. He hasn't done it him himself any favors. You know, I'm disappointed. I think a lot of Jays fans are from Kevin Biggio. I just think a lot of us expected a lot better from him. We knew this season he had last year was really tough. 2019, we saw a lot of him because of, you know, the roster at that point. But he had a lot of good at-bats in 2019. And 2020 was just obviously a short season. So, disappointing. We were expecting a lot. I think we do need to lower the expectations for him. Because, you know, the thing about him is he was the guy down down in, you know, throughout double-A, throughout triple-A. He was the guy with Bichette and Guerrero. Those were kind of labeled the big three in terms of the prospects. But... Maybe he just isn't going to be that good, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all if he's not going to be that good, but he's a lot better than one hit. It's just right now he is lost at the plate, and you can see it. You can pretty much, you know, the only hit he does have this year, I think, was a bloop single too, so it's not like it was a really solid contact for a base hit. I was mentioning he's struggling with pretty much exit velocity. He's just not hitting the ball hard at all. I think it's something you do have to consider, but again, I'm not going to say he won't be on the roster by May 5th because there's obviously a chance the Jays do hold on to Biggio. But in terms of a demotion, he's got three options left. You can do it if you really wanted to do it. It's just how does that impact him himself as well if he gets demoted? I don't know. There's a lot of it's just a tricky situation. I think it's really put maybe the Jays in a tough position in terms of they don't know what to do with him. I mean, we don't know what to do with him. Like, it's a really tough question. And yeah, like at the start of the season, the conversation was who gets a starting time. Now it's just how do you keep Biggio on the roster with how he's playing. And we got a question from one listener, Zachary, who said, like, Espinal plays every day. Debate is over. Sorry, Biggio. Like, there's not even a debate at this point. It's Espinal every day. It's just a question of how you keep Biggio on the roster with all the other moving pieces that we've discussed. So, yeah, it's disappointing we're at this point, but I... What can you do? You have one hit through your team's first 15, 16 games of the season, and sooner or later this conversation is going to come. Danny Jansen, last year, didn't have a hit for the first, what, 30, 35 at-bats. It wasn't a conversation because there was no one stealing his job. (laughs) He was the catcher, and of course Alejandro Kirk was there, but they were the one-two. And Reese McGuire was also there, but he wasn't really in that conversation. I I believe at that point Alejandro Kirk was injured as well. So, I I mean, there wasn't someone stealing Denny Jansen's job at that point in the season. Right now, the Blue Jays don't have room on the roster for Kevin Biggio. There's someone who's stealing his job. There's someone better at his job. And you mentioned Gosu Koto. Um, He had a really, really good at-bat yesterday. Later in the game, he was in there as a, I think it was pinch runner. He stayed in for Biggio, had a, an, a plate appearance, and drew a walk. It was a really tough at bat. He fouled off a couple pitches, took a couple close pitches and managed to draw the walk, ended up on first base. So that's something that I'm not sure we would have seen Kevin Biggio do. We know Kevin Biggio is supposed to have really good on base skills, but right now it's just not showing for him. So when you get to the point of where someone like Coteau is having better major league at bats than you, I don't know what we do at this point. It's tough. And I think the Blue Jays hang with him for a couple more weeks. I think it might be that May 4, May 5 deadline where we see the Blue Jays might have to make a tough decision. Um, And honestly, I think that might be the right decision at this point. Like, the Blue Jays have done this before with bonafide major leaguers. 
They have sent Teoscar Hernandez down to the minors in 2019. They sent Lourdes Gurriel Jr. down to the minors to figure things out defensively in left field instead of at second base. And it worked. You know, these guys are major league stars now. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., we saw what he did this weekend with the glove, even if it was only because of, at first, having a misplay. But Teoscar Hernandez, silver slugger a couple years running. So... Maybe that's just what the Blue Jays need to do. Send him down to the minors, give him a little bit of a break, and have him figure things out. And the last thing I'll say on this, I just hope it's not health-related. Or maybe I do hope it's health-related, because that would give an excuse for why he's hitting this way. Because right now, it just doesn't totally make sense. Because one hit in 16 games, I know he hasn't played every day, but yeah, it's just a little concerning. Yeah, and I like what you brought up about how he came up with Bichette and Guerrero because I think that's, whether people like it or not, I think that's what's keeping him on the roster is that he was part of that big three. Problem is, is there's only so long that you can keep him up here. And yeah, you would hate to see someone like this get demoted, even if it's only for a short time. Like say it's, I don't know, a month or, or a couple weeks and then he comes back. You hate to see it, but this I, I think what the what any Blue Jay fan will tell you after last season is every single game counts. And if you're losing games at any point in the season because of, I don't want to single out a single player, but if a single, if there is a player that is a bit of a liability on your team, you do need to make changes. And at this point, if Santiago Esperal is the starting second baseman and he is, you got to find other playing time for him. And if you can't find it, you do need to make those changes. And you hope that maybe this is it, that, that Kevin Biggio goes down, he figures some stuff out. Maybe it's a position change. I mean, we saw him play kind of everywhere last season. Didn't really work out everywhere. Third base was definitely a struggle. He plays outfield kind of just to get in the lineup. But I, at this point, I don't know. Like, if you can you can solidify him at one position, still would make it tough because you have starters at every position now. But if you can at least find a way to get him in the lineup in a position where he's comfortable at, get his back going, Maybe he can prove us all wrong because I don't want him to to struggle. I don't want him to stay in the minors and and never really make it as a big leaguer, but something's got to give here. And you just, you hope that whatever that is, it's just him going to the minors, figuring some, some stuff out. He still does have a couple weeks. Like I I should mention that, like obviously Teoscar Hernandez is still a, a little bit away. Danny Jansen will take up a roster spot, but he's still a while away. Rosters still haven't shrunk yet. So there is room for him right now. He'll have a couple games, I think, maybe a couple handfuls of games to at least try and prove that he can stay on this roster. But if he doesn't do that, then it's at least give him some some solidified playing time in AAA. Let him let him figure some stuff out. Yeah, and he's going to get some at-bats still within the next few weeks. I'm still not completely sold. It's going to be as much as we've seen from him. I mentioned to you guys at the beginning of the series that Zach Collins is taking reps at first base. There was a situation yesterday where... Uh, they were pretty much talking about it on the broadcast, too, that kind of a prediction was when Alejandro Kirk came in as a pinch hitter, maybe you move Collins to first, and then you have Kirk catch. That was not the case. Coteau came in instead. But all I'm saying is Collins is eventually going to get reps at first base, too. It's going to be interesting to see where he fits in the lineup then. You know, Espinal, you guys are talking, we all know this, everyday second baseman. It really opens up when that does happen with Collins. It really kind of just leaves the outfield in terms of him getting that position. So I told you guys too, he had a miscue at first yesterday. Maybe he isn't the most comfortable at first base. I'm not sure, but 
Right now, it's pretty much going to depend on whenever Teoscar Hernandez comes back. It's not going to be a move from Jansen. It's going to be pretty much Teoscar Hernandez when they really kind of determine that. So, And until then, there's not really anybody down in Buffalo where you want to make the change right now. So I think it's something that you can afford to kind of handle for the next couple of weeks. You know, another guy, I guess another highlight in AAA or somebody that we knew may get a chance at the roster eventually is somebody like Dexter Fowler. So Biggio, the problem with Biggio, we said it, he's running out of room. And there's even guys in Buffalo that are, are creeping and kind of hanging around there. So he's in deep trouble with the, I guess, his fit on the roster. Like, it's just people are playing well. People are behind him in Buffalo. There's depth. And that's why they can't afford for him to be like this all year. So he's going to get opportunities. Um, I'm sure he's going to get in a couple games easily this series. And then, of course, it's a 10-game homestand. So he's going to get opportunities until that. And I think at the end of the homestand, it'll be May 4th. So maybe at the end of the homestand, we're going to have an answer. But... Until then, or until Teoscar Hernandez is back, we know that he started hitting um, light progression when he stayed back in Toronto throughout the road trip. Somebody like Hunjin Ryu starting to throw again too. So these guys are on the way back. It just time isn't exactly on his side as much as it's not, you know, right up against him right now. It's just you can see it slowly and slowly approaching as we go game by game here. So I'm not sure, but I think with him, you got to keep the option open for a demotion for sure. It's just it's something that. I'm not even sure the Jays really know what to do right now. With just because of how complicated it is, we all all three of us are kind of out of answers right now at this point. So, you know, you hope he plays better, obviously for the team and for himself too. Like you can definitely feel that he's struggling right now, and you can probably he probably knows what's going on too. It's probably you know pretty easy to figure out and kind of forecast what's going on. So, just all of that with him, you hope that he figures it out, and he's a much better player than this too. So that's why you want him contributing to your lineup in different ways. You want him to be that guy that can come off the bench and Daisy doesn't start. You want him to be that guy that can maybe start the odd time in the outfield or maybe at second base, just for an example, even though that's not going to happen, to contribute in some sort of way. So we'll see, but time's running thin. He's got about, I'd say, another week and a half before we definitely get that answer. Yeah, so week and a half. What would you say, 20 Played appearances, 20 at-bats-ish. I'd say around there, yeah. To figure things out. And if he doesn't, that's probably the deadline. Might be the end of his time with the Blue Jays. At the very least, his end of the time with the Blue Jays for now being sent down to AAA. So we'll see what happens there. Um, another guy who's sliding right now and struggling is Bo Bichette. Um, this kind of reared its ugly head in yesterday's game. He was up with, we mentioned the Coteau walk. He was up with Coteau at first. In the ninth inning, top of the ninth, um, two outs, Vladdy on deck, Bobachet. Really, all he has to do is get on base, pass the baton to Guerrero, and you know, put the bat in Guerrero's hands, see what happens. And Bachet has a really ugly at bat that I think is just kind of characteristic of all the struggles we've seen over the start of the season for him. We know he's been a little bit hot at some points, but really not totally clicking. And um, it's a three-pitch at-bat. He strikes out. He fouls off um, two of the pitches, the first two pitches. And then the third pitch is a slider, probably about a foot or a foot outside, foot and a half outside of the strike zone. And he just swings right through it. And I think it's a microcosm of the struggles we've seen from Bichette early on in this season. We had a couple questions about his struggles from our listeners, Nate and Carter, just asking, like, what do you do with Bichette and why is he struggling so much? At this point, you know, who knows why he's struggling, but we've had the conversation before about his approach at the plate, 
his free-swinging tendencies, whether that's something the Blue Jays need to reel in, whether it's something he needs to reel in. Um, and basically, the verdict we've always come to is that the, that's not the solution. Like, this is who he is as a player, and he's going to swing through those pitches, and he's going to run hot, and he's going to run cold. But at this point, you're getting, you know, two, three weeks into the season, and he's hitting 217. Um, and those aren't horrible numbers, but I think it doesn't fully portray how hot and cold he's been. He's had a couple good games. He started the season with a good game in the home opener, I believe, and then really ran cold for a week. And then another couple good games, and then ran cold for another week. So I don't know what you do at this point there, but um, it's frustrating when we've seen Bichette so many times strike out or have bad at-bats with guys on base with two outs and Vladdy on deck. It's frustrating, and we talk about the struggles with runners in scoring position. I think if Bobochet is hitting better, we're probably not talking about runners in scoring position. I think it's that simple. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what you do. It's frustrating. And, you know, not to be overly negative on this podcast because the Blue Jays are 10 and 6, and here we are talking for 40 minutes about Kevin Biggio and Bobochet, but. The offense is struggling right now. The offense isn't clicking. I think Bobochet is a key part of that. And I don't know what you do to get him going. I'll be honest. I'm not worried about Bobochet. At least not now. Like, if he had a very good season last year, averaged just under 300, what was, I think he had 29 home runs or something like that. Like, he's had good seasons. I know he had a shortened season 2021, didn't come up till halfway through 2019 or towards the latter half of it. But he has shown that he's a good hitter. The free swinging. It would be more concerning to me if he has struggled more throughout his career. I think he just needs to get going. And, you know, look at Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I know very different approaches from the two of them, but he's like the first six weeks of the season, his average was under 200, and then he turned things completely around. And that's all I'm saying right now. He has 71 plate appearances, 69 at-bats, 217 average. He has 15 hits, so, you know, could be a little bit more improved. Only out of that a home run and two uh, two doubles. So a lot of it is really just him getting on first base, and I think he has two walks, 20 strikeouts. So if I were to look at like the standard distribution of what he does, it's pretty much just things like a single and strikeout, but I'm not worried yet. Like he, I know he hasn't, he's played the equivalent-ish of two full seasons, somewhat like that. I give him more time. I think he's proven that he's at least to some degree established, Maybe by the end of April, middle of May, if it's still kind of trending in this direction, I think then you start to tweak his approach a little bit, maybe be a little bit more selective. Because here's the thing, if you if you get a strike, you have to swing at it, if it's an 0-2 count or any two-strike count. But I think one of the issues is, is he'll frequently go from starting the at-bat to just down 0-2 or 1-2 within like two or three pitches. That'll definitely eventually get to you. Like if you're consistently on your final strike it will more often than not I think lead to an out or not lead to any type of favorable result but as of right now I, I give him a bit of time I say I, I, I don't know if middle of May is a little too much but I give him at least till the end of April to turn things around before you start working with him and tweaking his approach because he's not a guy that is going anywhere like we talk about it with uh, Kevin Biggio there's no one taking his job by any means right now I, I say you give him a little bit more time because we've seen what he can do like he's established himself throughout his first two 
season equivalents. I say you give it to him. You give him the the opportunity. You keep him at second in the lineup, and hopefully he can turn things around because like a lot of the offense really still hasn't clicked. But if it's somebody like Bobachet, I'm not worried about. I think he will rebound. He will turn things around. And this what we've seen throughout these first three weeks is not indicative of what will transpire throughout this whole season. Yeah, it's just. I'm fine. Like he's gonna be fine. Like I don't even give him a tie. I'd give it earlier than you, Jacob. I think it just it's gonna take him. You know, I think all he needs is a couple good games at the plate, and I think he's gonna get going. So, you know, you look back at last year, and I remember last year too. Is that April and May? He was he wasn't awful at all. It just he didn't start off that fast, and then I think pretty yeah, much after to, that, just to bring up his career splits because I was taking a look at them in yeah. April and March, he has a. Career batting average of 242, May 265, and then June, July, August are all above 300, and then September is two points below 300. So, yeah, he is a, a slow starter. He is, yeah. But the, obviously, the thing this year compared to last year, well, first of all, it's not as bad, or it's worse than it was last year. And the thing, you know, we spoke about it, like he he is a free swinger. Like he chases, is he's chasing at everything, he's striking out. And I think, you know, He's whiffing on everything too. And I think the concern, or not even the concern, I think one of the more things that I've pointed out from this other than this, the chasing is that he's only had two walks this year. Like it was only a couple games ago where he had his first walk of the season. You know, that's a little concerning for me, but we all know he's going to be a lot better than that. So, you know, the OPS right now it's at 529 because of how much he's hasn't really been swinging. So he's just not really seeing the ball well right now. It just feels like there's a lot of guessing going on from him. And, um, it's just, it's wild. Like he, he will swing in the dirt. He will swing outside. He just does not really, uh, care in terms of that. So he just swings at everything. So he's got to have a better approach. We know this. He's got to see more pitches. He's got to take more pitches when they're outside of the zone and it's going to slowly get better. I still wonder if they move him down to cleanup at some point. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. It's just that they've been sticking with the same lineup now throughout the entire month, but I just, for somebody like Matt Chapman, who's starting to heat up, he's got history in the two spot. I don't think it's a bad idea if you want to maybe consider that. And, you know, until Teoscar Hernandez comes back, that cleanup spot's still open. So, and for people who don't like Gurriel hitting fourth, uh, because he's pretty much been the the main guy hitting fourth besides yesterday or, you know, a couple games ago too with Collins at cleanup, maybe you put Bichette behind Guerrero because that's pretty much where he was for you know, the second half of the season when Springer came back and was leading off, Simeon was two, and then it was Guerrero, it was Bichette. It's just something that I think they might consider. Well, I'm I'm sure they're considering it, but I think it's something that they might want to get done soon. And I think that Matt Chapman's starting to heat up that we've been talking about. I just bring up Chapman a lot because he had a lot of history in the second spot last year with Oakland. So I think if they want to do the swap, I think, if they're going to do it, I think now's the time to do it until Teoscar comes back. And it's nothing against Bo. Get him going, get his swing back, and you know reevaluate when Teoscar Hernandez comes back. But I do think it's something that I wonder how long if until it happens or if it's going to happen at all. I just we haven't seen it at all for it to happen. Like there's just they've been rolling with the same lineup every day. So I just wonder about that in the back of my my head. But for Bichette, yeah, like I don't think anyone's really concerned. I just think what Bichette is sometimes he can be frustrating to watch as much as he's really good. Like we all know the errors too that he's made, but he, the, on the other hand of that is people aren't really talking about that enough is that he's also made a lot of good defensive plays. Like it just feels like there's been a lot of both. And last year compared to last year, we didn't really see a lot of good plays from him early on. We just saw mostly errors and then he started getting better throughout the year. But this year 
he's making a lot of good plays, but at the same time, he's also making a lot of costly plays. So that I just think that's what makes him frustrating with, with all due respect to him. But we all know he's a superstar in this team, and he's going to get going. But I just think it's going to take a game or two for him before he finds it. And then from there, I think he's just going to take off, and there's no looking back from him. Yeah, I think it is, as you say, important to distinguish between frustration and concern because obviously right now he's incredibly frustrating to watch at the plate. Um, Defensively, I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm not worried about that at all. Offensively, incredibly frustrating to watch, but that doesn't mean we're concerned. Like we bring up the, the slow starting numbers. We bring up, you know, we've seen this approach from him day in, day out for the better part of three years now, dating back to when he came up in 2019. So yeah, it's kind of, what you see is what you get with Bobachet, and he's going to run hot and cold. It's just incredibly frustrating to watch right now, especially when you mentioned the formation of the lineup. And I think the Blue Jays do have choices now where they didn't have choices a week ago with Matt Chapman being hotter. And, you know, we talked last week about Kevin Biggio maybe taking that spot. Um, boy, oh boy, how far we are from that conversation. But, um, yeah, I, I, I stand by the fact that I think I would prefer Bobachet in the number four spot in the cleanup spot. I think he, I don't know if he feels better there, but he certainly looks better there. And I think the job, we, we know George Springer is a free swinger. George Springer likes to swing early and often. That's okay. It works for him. It's an approach that works. Go ahead and do it. Same thing with Bo Bichette. We know he likes to swing early and often and oftentimes late in counts as well. When that's working for him. Yeah. Sure, go ahead, that's fine. I think when it's a problem is when those two guys are ahead of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the lineup. When Vladdy is coming to the plate in the first inning and the Blue Jays have seen five pitches and Bo Bichette struck out on three pitches, George Springer flew out on two pitches and Vladdy doesn't know what he's walking into. So I think that's the area where you want to see someone in the two spot who can work counts a little bit, get a little bit deeper, See what the pitcher has. So Vladdy has a little bit more to work with when he comes to the plate. And he's facing a guy who's already thrown 12 pitches instead of 5 pitches. So that's why I want Bo to move to the 4th spot. And I don't think you can keep Bo in the 2 spot and ask him, Hey, change your approach so Vladdy sees more pitches before he comes to the plate. Like we said, this is who Bo is. You don't want to change his approach because he's had success with it. I just don't think it works out of the two spots. So, yeah, now that the Blue Jays have options, I think they should entertain the possibility of moving Matt Chapman up in the lineup, moving him to the number two spot. Maybe it's something as well as moving Lourdes Goriel Jr. up to the two spot. I know he has a long swing, and he is kind of more that free swinger type, but that's someone you could entertain moving as well. I just think it's not working right now. And Bo Bichette is more of a prototypical number four hitter. I think the Blue Jays should make that move. And this kind of goes against what I was saying last week, where lineup changes are a little bit of hogwash. But I do think after another week of these offensive struggles, it's probably time that the Blue Jays try something else, especially with individual performances not clicking. Like if it was, if Bo Bichette was hitting the cover off the ball and Vladdy was hitting the cover off the ball and Zach Collins is, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is, if all these guys are hitting well, it's just not clicking all at once, like the runners in scoring position thing we talk about, then yeah, sure, keep the lineup the same, the luck is going to turn at some point, and you're going to get a big hit with runners on base. It's just, right now you're not getting those hits at all, 
whether the runners are in scoring position or not. So that's when I would entertain the change. So yeah, I'm, yeah, it's not concern, it's frustration, but there should probably be a couple changes made, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think I said this last week or one of the last couple weeks uh, or last couple series is if things are not going well, oh, that's what it was. We're talking about moving Vladdy. So yeah, if obviously for him, it's going well, you're not going to move him, but if things aren't going well for the rest of the lineup, like you have the offensive pieces to move things around. You have guys that have fit all through a lineup in their career uh, in like different teams. So yeah, like I'm not, I'm I'm not against moving anybody as long as it works. If it doesn't work, like I'm not saying you move Matt Chap into second and then he goes over three with a a walk and then you say okay, well it didn't work. But like obviously that's not how the Blue Jays would operate. I'm not against moving anybody at this point. I think it's fair to say that, especially with Teoscar Hernandez not in the lineup. It gives you, I think, a bit more flexibility because you can put Bichette at two, or excuse me, Chapman at two, Bichette at four. If it works, you, I don't know, maybe you apply that to when Teoscar Hernandez is back or something like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is a few changes to for today's game. I know the lineup isn't out yet. It's still a couple hours away from that, but... I wouldn't be surprised if there's some changes and I wouldn't be against any changes because yeah, you're 10 and six. Yeah. You're among the top teams in baseball, but it easily could be a lot worse. And I hate to be that pessimistic, but it easily could be a lot worse. And why not change? Like as much as I would say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It easily could be broke right now. And it, it's worth, I think looking into making a few changes. Matt Chapman has heated up. Lourdes Carrillo Jr. heating up, or at least not starting slow like he did last year. Why not make a few changes? And if it works, it works. Then you know what you can what you can do going into the rest of the season. But as of right now, like if if the lineup were to stay the same tonight as it did in the series against Houston, or at least the regular configuration, I wouldn't be against it. But at the like, if you have the opportunity to make some changes, see what you have. Absolutely, go for it. Yeah, and for individual performance too. I mean, Chapman's not the only one heating up, which is which is obviously really good. I think Kirk's starting to see the ball better. Uh, Tapia, he's starting to see the ball better too. He's getting a lot better at bats. I'm not saying those are guys that are going to hit too. I'm just saying in terms of individual performance. So it's good that the lineup, slowly those guys at the bottom of the order are starting to figure it out. And right now, yeah, I mean, I think just once Bo Bichette figures it out too, I think it's going to be a dangerous lineup in the lineup that we all envision, especially with Fernandez on the way back. And I think the thing with... Bichette too, which can, you know, just like key number is that he's striking out almost 10% more than he did last year. So that just proves as much as you you can say he's chasing, he's chasing. It just proves that the results from the chasing are not paying off whatsoever. So frustrating player, but still have a heck of a player to watch. And you you know, Bichette's going to be fine, but you know, and it's, it's one change. It's not like you're overhauling the entire lineup and you're dropping him down a few spots. I don't think it's anything major. So, and it's something that he's had experience with before hitting cleanup that we were talking about. And Mark, you were talking about the preference for him there. So it's not like it's new to him dropping a four if they decide to do it, but I don't know if it'll happen tonight. Maybe it happens throughout the homestand. I mean, they have 10 games to do it before the end of the month. And then um, we'll see. I mean, it's just something that I think should be entertained. I think that's the right word to use. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I'm sure they're thinking about it. And I'm sure they're trying to find ways to just jumpstart him. And it, it's only a way to make him or to jumpstart him, which will affect the entire team in a good way. So that's all they're doing. And I think there's nothing wrong with it if they decide to do it uh, at some point throughout this homestand. Yeah. And all this being said, like, 
it's not doom and gloom for the Blue Jays. They are 10 and 6. They are, even if we talk about the offensive struggles, they're still ranked 9th in baseball in WRC Plus right now. They talked about it on the broadcast yesterday with Arden Zwelling. Um, defense, or excuse me, offense around the league is depressed right now. Like, no team is hitting like crazy. Seattle is right now ranked as the number one offensive team by WRC Plus in the league, and they're at 127. And then it's followed by the Cubs and the Angels and the Mets and then the Guardians. Like, there's some teams up there that were not expected to be good at all are getting a little bit lucky. By and large, offense is depressed all around the league. And the Blue Jays are top third of teams in offense. And they've been seemingly scoring, like, max four runs a game. Um, so it's not doom and gloom. The Blue Jays are 10-6. and six. The offense is still performing better than other teams are around the league. And, uh, yeah, it's only a matter of time before this all clicks. And the fact that they are 10-6 and six, without the pitching clicking for the first week of the season, without the offense really getting going at all, they're in a good position. It's just a matter of time before things start to get going, and that's when the real fun starts. And at the same time, things haven't been clicking, and they've been playing really good teams. They've played Texas, which is really good offense. They've played Oakland, not a great team. That was their easy series, but New York. Houston, Boston, and they got a couple more against Houston and Boston and New York. So they're they're winning games against tough teams in the division and in the American League, and they're doing it all without an offense that click, that's clicking, without a starting pitching that's clicking, and with Teoscar Hernandez and Danny Jansen out with injuries. That's a pretty good outlook. You got to be pretty happy with how things have gone these first weeks of the season. So um, any final thoughts from you guys before we wrap it up? I guess just uh, serious predictions. Four-game series against the Red Sox. What do you guys think? I was the one with the hot take going into this series, or, or the last series with the uh, with the Astros. Let me see. Who's starting? So today we have Barrios, Gosman tomorrow, Stripling, and then I don't think a starter's been announced for the fourth game. It's Manoa, so, probably. Yeah, probably Manoa. Huh? I'm going to say a split. A split at worst. I don't think they're, like, I don't, do I think they're losing four of or three of four? No, I don't think they're going to get swept. I think a, a split is probably fair. I'll be a little bit more generous. I'll go three of four. I think um, you have Gosman on the mound and you have Manoa on the mound, and you can count on wins in those two games. So it's just a question of Brios and Stripling. And I think you win one of those games, you lose one of those games, you probably lose a Stripling game. But yeah, I'll go three of four. I'll say three of four too. I like the matchup. I know um, pretty much I think we're seeing the same pitchers that we saw last week at Fenway. And of course... Uh, the Red Sox will be seeing the same pitchers too. But, you know, Tanner Houck is a big member of that rotation. He will not be pitching this series. So I think that's optimism there. I think Michael Waka, who the Jays are very familiar with through the past with the AL East, I think he's going to start in his place. So you have him starting. I'm kind of going backwards here. But you have Nick Pavetta, who the Jays hit well. But he's just been off to a rough start in general. And I think tonight you have Nate Ovaldi. So I think these are matchups that are favorable for them. I'll agree with you, Mark. I'll say three out of four. Okay, we'll see how it goes. Either way, 2 of 4, 3 of 4, it's a good series outcome. Um, but we will see, and we will be back here, as always, at the end of this series to discuss whatever happens. Um, as always, you can support our podcast by finding us on social media. That's at Section138Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And we're going to try to start doing a little bit more listener engagement stuff. So um, before we record, we're going to be tweeting out and, and posting on Instagram about 
Um, you know, call for questions, call for listener thoughts. You saw us incorporate some of those today, but follow us on social media to get more involved with that. Um, you can also give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. And then you can listen to our episodes wherever you find them, and you can watch them on YouTube. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.